Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Good morning. Morning here in North America. Different time zones, different weather, different times of day. But no matter where you are, I welcome you and we welcome each other here coming together on the threefold Sangha. Before beginning the talk, I wanted to remind ourselves of one of the bodhisattvas that are talked about and that exists in this Buddhist teaching that doesn't get as often the same recognition or the same attention here in, in our Western hemisphere as does uh, Kanzeon. Of course, we all know Kanzeon, the one who hears the cries of the world. But today I want to point also to Jizo Bosatsu. Jizo Bosatsu who wanders into hell to bring comfort to those who exist in those hell realms. And looking around the globe, looking around this nation, there are plenty of places that at this time we could experience as such a hellish realm. Wildfires ravage Northern California. Twin hurricanes are barreling down the Gulf of Mexico. There is political strife, domestic and international oppression. You will find news from Belarus. You will find news about political strife here in this country as well. And the reminder that I want to bring up before we begin the actual talk is that we all are called to act in the same way that Jizo does. It is up to us in our human form to not just listen to it, but to go and to bring comfort wherever we can, wherever we can and no gesture, no nen, no thought, no good wish is too small to be sent to those who are in dire need of relief from those situations. So today, today, this talk was inspired by a common connection between the Zen Center of Syracuse, Shingeroshi, and the Charles River Zen Sangha, where I serve during the year. And that common connection is Myoan Chico Maureen Stewart. I don't know if you uh, remember, but Myoan Chico, she, she was the uh, abbot of the Cambridge Buddhist Association until she passed away in 1990. And she was an important teacher to Shingeroshi and the story that I will tell today actually was also used by her 
in a Taisho that she gave at the Zen center of Syracuse. So it's a wonderful uh, connection to see these important stories, women and connections that we all have and that we didn't even know about until they are being revealed. And our practice partially is to be open to that revelation of what has already and always been there. So Myon Chico, uh, I happened to then serve later as the abbot of the Cambridge Buddhist organization uh, from 2004 until 2011, when uh, that institution, which is along with the Zen Study Society, one of the oldest Zen institutions here in the United States, 1957, 1958. But in 2011, the Cambridge Buddhist Association stopped offering actual Zen practice. That's when Charles River Zen came into existence to carry forward that uninterrupted line of Zazen that had been offered since 1957 when uh, Shinichi Hisamatsu uh, and also, of course, Diki Suzuki were not only resident scholars at Columbia University, but also came uh, to Harvard University, which is in walking distance from the former location of the Cambridge Buddhist Association. So I'm honoring uh, this connection today with great joy. And here is the story for today. Four monks were going in China, you know, just a short time after Zen has arrived, maybe a few generations, five or six. And it was common that once you thought that the place you had studied at has exhausted providing you with new ways of exploring yourself, or if you were deluded to think that you actually had achieved something, you went out to find other people to measure up to or other teachers to refine your studies with. And so four monks were doing that and they were from Northern China. And while they were walking on their pilgrimage to Southern China in the country, they came by a little hut where there was this old man in his samurai, just finishing his work in his rice paddy. A little very, very poor looking hut next to that vegetable garden and the rice paddy. And so they stopped. Oh, let's stop here and let's ask if he can give us something to eat. That person's name was Jizo. Not necessarily Jizo Bodhisattva, or maybe we will see. But Jizo invited them. He had just harvested a few nice eggplants and in his little hut, he created a wonderful dish for them, apologizing that he could not invite them into his small cabin. He pre prepared the meal for them outside where they were served a wonderful vegetable dish, got some hot tea near a fire, looking over the beautiful landscape. 
And after they finished, while well, he again apologized for not having better food for them, for not being able to serve them better, they rested a little bit. And just before they uh, decided to get up and leave and march on, Jesus said, well, gentlemen, you look to me like you are followers of the way. You look to me like you, you are Zen monks. I, I'd like to ask you a question. See the tree and the rock and the field and the hut and yourself. Do you consider them separate or do you consider them together? One of those monks by the name of Shuzan said right away, of course they are separate. Of course they are separate. There's a tree, there's a, there's a rock and there's the field, the hut and here, here are we. Everybody knows that. At this moment, Jizo quietly raised up his hand with two fingers and said, well, I have read a little bit about Buddhism and the, what I understand, no matter how small that is, is that it is the Buddha's teaching that nothing is separate from each other. Shuzan again, a little embarrassed. Oh, of course, of course, you're right. You're quite right that the Buddha teaches that there is no difference between self and others. So that tree and that, that rock and the field and the hut and, and us, we, we, are, we are all, all one. Hmm. Shuzan quietly again raised his hand. Oh, so you say we are all separate. That's one part of your mind says we are all separate. But then the other part of your mind says we are all together. So what, what can you say about that? Juzan, getting annoyed, turning to his other fellow travelers, says, oh, let's get out of here. Let's not waste our time with this old man. And they left. We probably all had encounters that followed us. Even if we at the time of the encounter did not realize that we had taken something with us from that encounter. And so that happened to Shuzan as well. While they were continuing to the south, somehow this interaction with this old farmer continued to churn in him. What is it? What is it? He's right. Is it all one or is it separate? Which part of my mind says it's one? Which part of my mind said, says that it is one and separate? And so he started to enter deeply into that investigation that we 
enter into when we go into Zen practice. After some time, Susan decided, okay, I should probably go back having had some insight and having been exposed to what happened in Southern China at the time. Let's remember this is the time when Buddhism had been there for a couple of hundred years, but Zen was pretty fresh and things were different in the Zen school than in the other schools. For once, one example for that is before Hyakujo Eikai, one of our ancestral teachers, most of the Buddhist schools just followed the Vinaya very strictly. We know where that led, how it was sometimes not appropriate to follow the rules of subcontinental India in the Chinese context where it got cold in the winter. So, but there was a lot of discussion at that time, a lot of scripture reading, a lot of scholarly intellectual discussion about Buddhism. And that's what Shuzan experienced. This little worm that was in him from that encounter told him, go back, go back, go back to that encounter. And he went. This time when he arrived, Jizo was not wearing his work outfit. He wasn't a farmer. He wore his robes. Instantly, Shuzan recognized that he had met somebody completely different than he had thought before. And Jizo asked, where did you come from? A question that we all encounter here and there. And still not ready to answer from his heart, like many from us would maybe answer is, Shuzan said, well, I came from the South. <laughs> Jizo continued, so how is the Buddha Dharma in the South? And Shuzan told him exactly what I described. Oh, they're wonderful intellectual discussions there. There are Dharma battles between scholars of scriptures and so on. And they're wonderful large assemblies that honor the Buddha and the Buddha's teaching. And Jesus says, oh, that's interesting. That's not what we do here. Shuzan asked, so what is it that you do here? Oh, says Jizo, we cut down trees and we cultivate the field. And this is where the story ends. It's a wonderful treasure trove of all different kinds of topics that we can attend to. First of all, where does our practice play out? Aren't we all like those four monks on the pilgrimage? 
that pilgrimage into which we entered through the womb of our mother. The pilgrimage that brought us through circumstances that were not of our choosing. Already touching the Buddha's teaching that everything arises conditionally. And according to the conditions, we found our angya, our pilgrimage brought us to this very moment. Where does our practice play out? Do we have to go to Southern China? Because we heard there is a great teacher there. Do we need to go and find an illustrious, well-recognized person to teach us? Do we need a great assembly? All of it might be helpful, absolutely. That's why the deep gratitude I have goes to Shinge Roshi, to Joshua Roshi, to Myon, Chiko, Maureen Stewart, to Edo Roshi, to all the ancestral teachers. But we have always to be aware that this Angya, this pilgrimage is our pilgrimage and it is our legs that move us forward on it. Nobody can pull us. So when these four characters appear in front of the hut, without hesitation, Jizo opens up his hospitality. He's going all out. The vegetables that he just had taken from the garden, probably he had some plans. Oh, this here, I'll do this and that. This part of the eggplant, I will pickle. And suddenly these four characters show up and all of those plans, because instead of keeping the food for himself, that could have sustained him four times as long, these four hungry mouths appeared. And like a true bodhisattva, the true meaning of dana is to give not only yourself away, but also that what you yourself needs, that what you need, giving something that you yourself need is one of the most wonderful manifestations of dana. Giving yourself is also a manifestation of no self, of muga, of truly becoming that bodhisattva that gives sustenance. A bodhisattva who brings comfort to weary travelers, all of them on their own pilgrimage, but all of them again moving on their own legs. So this hospitality, giving oneself away. And in this interaction between Shuzan and Jizo, it's clear that Shuzan really did not have his Dharma eye open, his heart open. 
he was happy to receive the food. And okay, let's answer some questions of this old guy before we leave. But he didn't open himself to it, to recognize. And it's not necessarily that, that Shuzan should have recognized Jesus as a teacher, but he hasn't reached his point in his angya, in his pilgrimage, that he could allow everything to be his teacher. Whatever it may be, everything has a teaching that it carries in it. As soon as we have the same openness that Jesus had with his hospitality, the hospitality that we give out in this sense is the hospitality to that what we meet and that we teach, uh, that we accept it as a teaching and as a teacher. So Shuzan did not do this. It could also be that sometimes we think, oh my God, this is such a terrible time now where we are here. My teacher is sitting on the other side of the screen and I get to see her once every other week for seven minutes or something like that. Oh, poor me, poor me, ah, my teacher, I have no teacher. There's no teacher here in residence and so on and so on. Well, if we are in that place, let's not forget that we have legs to move us forward on the pilgrimage, not relying on circumstances. So recognizing everything being our teacher, we will have come to the very difficult recognition that we ourselves also must teach ourselves. On that angya, on that pilgrimage, we might have such an encounter and we might remember or it might bug us, what happened there? What happened there? It was in complete it was a, an incomplete relationship. It was an incomplete reaction. Even if you think about chemicals, if there, or, or a fire, if a fire burns with low oxygen, there's a lot of smoke and you start coughing and a lot of residue is left behind. Same here. This was an incomplete interaction, incomplete relationship. And it had to be followed up. And that following up is the practice we do. And it also means to actualize it in our own lives, wherever we are. And how we do it is really important. Uh, sometime in the future, I will speak about kyogai, which is a term that is used in the Zen monastery, but also in the arts in Japan that speaks to the ability of a person to authentically be, to authentically fill the action and their presence in a way that is beyond boundaries. 
So this is also what we sometimes call actualization in action. So one of the things that this story also reminds me about is while here we sit, not only is our teacher on the other side of this digital screen, but also so are all the other participants in this threefold Sangha. Zazen in front of a screen. Now let me ask you, are we together? Or are we one? How can we come to the point that we are one and not together at the same time? And this practice, especially Rinzai Zen, has built a way to approach that. And in that approach, it's also that we have a certain formality. So even when we get together here and we are separated geographically, but we have the bits and bytes streaming these pictures and sounds onto our screen, we are not alone. We are not alone. We are together. And how we now put this kyogai, this authenticity into it, is that we don't forget about it while we sit here in front of these cameras. You know, it is such an easy temptation. Oh, yeah, well, I'm here at home. And, and to forget about the camera. And in the middle of a sit, Let's try to even extend that oneness of that formal spirit of sitting together, even though there is very, very large physical distance between us. And how do we get there? Again, you have legs. We have legs. We have legs to walk on this pilgrimage ourselves. So the final answer of the story was about cutting trees and cultivating the field. Cutting, pruning. I can hear Roshi say, cut, 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 cut. It's part of cultivation. Not only tilling the field, but taking out the little weeds that crop up so that that what we try to cultivate grows. Yet here again, together or apart, let me give you the analogy. What might seem as a weed might be a nightshade that has wonderful potatoes below the surface. So we can't just come and go at it from what seems to be on the surface and forget about that that we can't readily see. That's why we call this an investigation. And even if we take that weed out, we might end up with potatoes. Let's say our thoughts are potatoes. 
And we have to learn that if we eat them raw as they are, we'll get very sick. But if we sit down and we turn into that potato boiling pot of Zazen, what emerges is a wonderfully sustaining, nurturing gift of nature that can keep us alive and moving forward on this pilgrimage that we all are undertaking. Shuzan asked himself at some point after he had left, what kind of Zen student am I that I ran away from this old farmer? And that is a question that we should ask ourselves all the time. What kind of a Zen student am I? Am I a Zen student that has a patch up here belonging to this and this Zendo? Am I somebody who says, I am not a Zen student? So all these questions, all these questions we have to address ourselves. Now, one of the final things, one wonderful lesson that my first Zen teacher, Genro Seonosho, taught was we have to develop that hospitality and how he expressed it he said we have to cultivate our inner smile an inner smile an openness that has a smile you know a smile has a little lift in it yeah even physically instead of being together like this we we lift up we open up and that inner smile is even more important in this year, 2020, when we put up our masks, people can't see that smile. So this inner smile needs to be a smile that has to turn into a full body smile, that it's not us who is smiling, but we are the universe that is smiling at who and what we encounter. And as that, we might as well be called Jizo Bodhisattva. Thank you all for your smiles. My closing thought that I would like to offer today is I started speaking about the fires, about the hurricanes, about the political strife, and, but also about hope. So fear and hope. Often, that's the third time I say today that something gets a bad rap from the Zen teachers. Fear and hope sometimes get like a bad kind of, uh, uh, label, but let me say it this way to express it in that movement of our angya, of our pilgrimage. Fear and hope are wonderful helpers as long as they are true emotions. Emotion has the word motion in it. That means if fear and hope bring us forward, bring us forward in moving our legs, our locomotion on this angya, then they are truly authentic and they are as welcome as 
anything else that we encounter on this path. Just let's not get stuck. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.